Have you ever asked this question? Where are you, God? Where's God? Oh, thank you, Josh. Have you ever been in the middle of something so tragic or disappointing, maybe some things that I just prayed about, so tragic and so disappointing, where you begin to wonder where God is or if He is real? Even sometimes as a believer, do you get to that place where you say, where is God right now? And if He is real, why is all this happening? Have you ever looked at the injustice or tragedies in the world? Maybe injustices or tragedies in your own life and felt angry or downright depressed as you try to make sense of it all? Things that are heavy? What did you do? What did you do with it? Maybe you're in that kind of place right now. What do you do with that? Well, let me just say that you're not alone. You're not alone. As a matter of fact, the people Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to in the letter that we'll look at today were likely feeling the same way. They were likely feeling the same way. They might have been asking, where is God? Why is all this stuff happening? And maybe they were dealing with emotions ranging from anger to depression, possibly. The letter we're going to look at today is actually Philippians. So Nural read a, 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 a piece from Romans, uh, and this is Philippians that we're going to be looking at, but there's a connection, and you'll see it in a minute. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians from his house arrest in or near Rome. Paul was arrested three to four years earlier in Jerusalem, shortly after he wrote his letter to the Romans from Corinth. He was on his third missionary journey. He got to Corinth. He wrote Galatians and Romans. Remember that? Uh, and then he left, went down to Jerusalem, bringing a gift with him uh, from all the people up in Macedonia and Achaia. Um, and when he got to Jerusalem, he ended up getting arrested, falsely accused and arrested. And now after being held in custody in Caesarea for two years and surviving a perilous journey at sea, he was in Rome under house arrest. Last week... Jonah preached from Romans 16, Romans chapter 16, which was really fun for me to watch Jonah, who's actually he's in Vermont this week, uh, weekend. Uh, he's our associate pastor. I'm the uh, senior pastor. He preached from Romans 16, and Romans 16 is a bunch of names. Greet this person, greet this person. And so what we got a chance to do through Jonah's message is get acquainted with the community of believers in Rome. So he's in Corinth, he writes this letter to all these people that he actually knows, he's never been there, but he writes this letter to them and, and he lists all these names. The Apostle Paul is now among that community. He's in Rome. And so we got the chance last week to see the kind of quality, the difference uh, of, of the community there. And while he's there at Rome, he's thinking about another community in the east, in Philippi, in Macedonia. By the way, Paul writes at least four letters, four letters that we have, from his house arrest 
in Rome during his first imprisonment. Today we're going to look at Philippians. The next few weeks we'll look at Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. It's not Philemon, it's Philemon. I'll be doing that in a couple weeks. So we'll be looking at those four letters. And in Philippi, Paul was, was originally there uh, many years earlier on his second missionary journey. And you can read about that in Acts 16. And to lay the context of this letter with that event is really important. On that first visit, Paul had been arrested, beaten, and thrown in prison. Do you remember? He was arrested, beaten, and thrown in prison. He wasn't there for more than 24 hours when he and Silas, who was there with him, were singing hymns, singing hymns at midnight. And they were miraculously released via an earthquake. I told the Jones kids I was going to use the word earthquake, so there you go. Via an earthquake. Their chains were released, and they could have left. They could have left, scooted right out of there. But you may remember the story of how Paul then led the jailer to Christ, he and his whole family, and then Paul insisted, this this was a little bit crazy, he insisted that the authorities come and apologize before he would leave. But now, but now, Paul has been in Roman custody for more than 24 hours. For three to four years, no earthquake, no chains released, no apology. And I wonder if the Philippians thought, okay, the way it's supposed to work now uh, is you get thrown in prison, you sing some songs, and boom, an earthquake happens and you're out of there, right? I remember reading this with John uh, in, uh, when we would go down to prison Bible study in, Clem- in uh, uh, the community correctional facility, I'm sorry, the um, Cumberland County Correction Facility. We're sitting there reading this with inmates, and they're like, hey, let's just sing some songs, you know? You know what I'm saying? Well, isn't that how it works? God releases you, because He's active, He's alive. But now, Paul's been there for three to four years. Has the gospel stopped? Where's God? That may have been what they were asking in Philippi, and Paul may have realized it while he's over there in Rome. So Paul wrote a letter from Rome to the Philippians. And part of the reason he wrote that letter was to assure them that what had happened to him had really served to advance the gospel. And he told them why. So what I want to do this morning is to explore with you the reasons Paul had, I'm going to be really to the point, the reasons Paul had for believing that the gospel was advancing, and especially to describe Paul's philosophy of life as a Christian that helped him to see that. That philosophy of life is embedded in what I'll refer to as basic Christian lordship, which is summed up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he says this, this, this statement, For me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. I hope that you'll see how this perspective of life as a Christian might be radical to the world, but it's meant to be normative for believers in Christ. And if you hold this perspective as a believer, in other words, that Christ is truly your Lord, if you hold this perspective, then it will be easier for you to see how the gospel advances, how the gospel advances, which is the title of this sermon. But let me just pray before we get into it. Lord God, pray that uh, you would be with us as I speak, Lord, that uh, as we talk about Paul's experience with seeing the gospel advance even when he was stationary, after moving around so much, he's been stationary, but the gospel is advancing and help us to see how he could come to that conclusion and how it relates to his philosophy of life that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. God, help be with us today as we walk through this sermon and this story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so that's setting the table. Now let me, let, let's go to eat here. Paul's letter to the Philippians was written by Paul and Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple. He's with him there in Rome. And it centers, the entire letter centers around what the Bible project, I love the Bible project, calls the Messiah poem. And that's in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, the Messiah poem. It describes the story of Jesus, and so you can read that. It describes his incarnation, which means the word becoming flesh, his incarnation. It describes his life and death. It describes his resurrection and his exaltation. And Paul, in in putting out that, that Messiah poem, he called them, the Philippians, and calls us to have the same mind that Jesus had. The same mind of Jesus who did not live for himself or his own selfish gain, but gave everything up for us. The rest of the letter calls us to live the same way for him, to live out the lordship of Christ in our lives. And he gives several examples of how to do that, including his own example. So chapter 3 is his own example. He gives the example of Timothy. He says, I have no one like him who everybody looks out for their own interests, but, but Timothy, he'll look out after your interests when I send him, and he looks out after the interests of Christ, which is an interesting statement. What are the interests of Christ? Timothy was known for looking out for the interests of Christ. So he talks about the t- example of Timothy. He also talks about the example of a guy from Philippi, a guy named Epaphroditus, and in, in, in that chapter, I think it's four, he talks about the example of Epaphroditus. And he's sending Epaphroditus back with this letter. So Paul opens up his letter by thanking God for them, telling them how he feels about, about them, and offering a prayer to them. Then in verse 12, he says the keynote verse for the title of this sermon. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What? Are you kidding me? How could that be, Paul? Give me a break. So being arrested, tried, imprisoned, almost lost at sea, that really served to advance the gospel in your opinion, Paul? Really? Was this in your ministry plan? Did you file that ministry plan in advance? Is this in God's ministry plan? Tell me how that has moved us forward, Paul. Because it seems to us, it seems to me, that the progress of the gospel has stopped and it's dead in the water. That's what it seems like to me. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they were necessarily saying that, but by all appearances, Paul was moving all over the place. The gospel was on the move. And now, he's been in Caesarea for two years, and now he, he's up in Rome for what turns out to be two more years with about a year or something less on, uh, at sea. It was a shipwreck. Three different ships. The one in the middle was wrecked at sea. <laughs> the gospel is advancing. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Gee, it seems like the gospel is dead in the water. Not at all, Paul insists. Here's why. Here's why. And he gives two reasons. He says, first, it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all that my imprisonment is for Christ. It's for Christ. Everybody knows that. Not for some criminal activity. The fact is, if Paul was not imprisoned, many of these folks, especially the guards, would not have ever, perhaps, may not have ever heard of Christ. But now they have. And and the fact that Paul was willing to suffer for Christ validated his sincerity. He's not faking it. (laughs) He's in prison for Christ. Perhaps it even lent credibility and emphasis to the gospel because he's there. Okay, so that's the first one. I'm going to take a quick drink. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. So that's the first reason. Everybody knows I'm in prison for Christ, he says. The second, this is very surprising to me, the second reason why the gospel is advancing is that most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Not only is he known for being in, uh, being in prison for Christ among all the guards and everybody, but other people are now more bold in their witness because he's in prison. The fact that Paul faced these trials, living through them with courage and continued vigor, which you see when you look at Acts 28, you see that, it must have given them encouragement that they might also be able to endure it if they were so treated. I think the fear of the unknown is sometimes greater than the fear of the known. For them, the fear of the unknown was paralyzing. And now they see Paul, okay. <laughs> now they see Paul imprisoned, and somehow that made them more courageous. So I just want to stop here for a second and think about that with you. I want to point out the value of a bold pioneer. 
a bold pioneer who takes responsibility for launching gospel ministry and suffers for it. You probably see it at school. Maybe you see it at FCA where somebody's willing to step forward for Christ. I'll go to your FCA huddle or I'll go, I'll read the Bible. I'll talk about Jesus with my friends. And all of a sudden, because you were bold enough, others begin to say, I can, I can share that too. The suffering of the bold pioneer does not actually detour the gospel, but it advances it. It causes others to have a tangible, vicarious experience with the hostility that they fear, the opposition, and it actually recruits their hearts to the cause. And and I think through sympathy, honor, and glory, sympathy for the cause, honor of the fellowship, and the glory of God. Sympathy for the cause, the honor of the fellowship, and the glory of God. Sometimes, it only takes one person to boldly and courageously step out and witness for Christ for others to take courage and do the same. So I think sometimes God is calling us to be that person in a situation. Just step out and just give it a little bit, a little seed of faith to move forward. Not in a weird way, but in a, in a loving Christian way. Okay, so people are being more bold now in Rome. But in this atmosphere of bold proclamation of the gospel, a diversity of motivations appeared. Woo! (laughs) A diversity of motivations appeared. Some preached Christ from envy and rivalry. Can you imagine? Their root motivation for doing so was selfish ambition not sincerity. They were actually trying to make it harder for Paul to afflict him in his imprisonment. And some preached Christ from goodwill, out of love. They knew that Paul was put there for the defense of the gospel. Good motivations, bad motivations for preaching the gospel, for gospel ministry, and frankly, all from, probably from believers. Believers with good motivations, believers with bad motivations. Wow. Why are you in ministry? Why do you lead? Why are you a pastor, elder, deacon, ministry leader, church, church leader? Why are you in this? Is it for yourself? Is it for your own self-esteem and glory? Or is it out of pure love? It calls us to ask that question. What's our motivation? What's my motivation? What, when I'm sharing something, am I sharing it so that I look good? Or am I sharing it because it's really helpful for the person that I'm talking to to hear it? And if so, how do I share it so I don't build myself up, glorify myself? I actually share it in a way that's helpful. Okay, so... Mixes of motivations, and Paul's in the thick of it. Some of these guys are making it hard for him. Some of them are just preaching Christ boldly. And, and so what does he feel about it? What is, what's Paul feel about this mix of motivations? You know what he says? He rejoices in the fact that whether their motivations are false or genuine, Christ is still preached. This is what mattered. This is what mattered. And um, so he rejoices Paul was not in it for his comfort, honor, or glory, 
but the glory of God through Christ, the salvation of people who will experience God, give Him praise, enjoying Christ, and then sharing the joy. (laughs) That's what mattered to Paul. Not that this guy had a bad motivation or this guy. He was able to overlook all that and say, you know what? I'm just glad that Christ is preached. And then he wrote this. He was, con- he was confident and secure in his own position. He didn't have anything to lose here. So he wrote this. I know that through your prayers, he's talking to the Philippians, he's writing to them, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation, this is verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That's what I really want. I want Christ to be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what he says in verse 20. How could anyone have such confidence and security in his position and future? What philosophy of life gives such serenity and perspective, right? How could you possibly think that way, Paul? So he explains it in verse 21. One of my favorite verses. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The goal of Paul's life was not staying alive. It was not personal comfort or riches. The goal of his life was to honor and lift up Christ. The objective was that the gospel would be preached, that Christ would be proclaimed. So because his suffering and imprisonment resulted in Christ being proclaimed, done, accomplished, check. He could rejoice. So while it may have looked like the gospel was stopped, and that God wasn't there, Paul knew that God was using his suffering for good, and he rejoiced. Isn't that that an amazing perspective? It's a perspective that only makes sense in the context of the lordship of Christ. When you live for Christ and not for yourself, it only makes sense in that context. Then, and only then, can you actually see what appears to be bad for you Is actually good for the kingdom. It's good for other people. It's good for the glory of God. So you can actually embrace the statement that he made to the Romans two two or three years earlier in Romans 8.28 when he said that God makes all things work together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. According to that purpose, the proclamation of Christ is good. Paul saw that the good in his imprisonment was creating... Paul saw the good in his imprisonment and that 
he could say that what was happening to him really served to advance the gospel. Only someone who lives for Christ could say something like that. Only someone who lives for Christ could say something like that. Living for Christ is ordinary Christianity. Living for Christ, saying what Paul said, is not heroic. It's ordinary Christianity. It's the way life in Christ should be, the way it was meant to be. I wish we could like put our sign out, like the one down in Kittery, you know, Maine, the way life should be. The, the sign would say, life in Christ, the Lordship of Christ, for me to live as Christ, the way the Christian life should be. Because <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Um, when He is our Lord, this is what it looks like. It's not radical for extremists, but ordinary for the everyday believer. When David Platt, some of you know he wrote a, a guy, an author, he wrote a book called Radical. He didn't mean to describe a life that was meant just for radical Christians. That's not what he meant. You read the book. It's not what he meant. But he meant to talk about a life that is radically different, that is actually meant for everyday Christians, everyday Christians. That's what he's talking about. And this is actually what Christianity looks like. Yes, it's obedience. Yes, let's use that word, obedience. But let me tell you that it's not the kind of demeaning obedience that we think of when training a dog. That's not what we're talking about. No, it's commitment of your whole life to Christ in loving, wholehearted devotion to Him as Lord. It's much more than task obedience. It's let me give my life to you, Lord. Living for Christ involves both life and death. Death to ourselves and life to God through us. As Paul had previously written to the Galatians, when he's in Corinth on his way to Jerusalem, he wrote, remember, Galatians and Romans? Almost the same content, just different context, so it looks really differently, but it's pretty much the same content. Um, in Galatians 2.20, he writes, we are crucified, I am crucified for Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live by the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. And then, in the letter to the Romans, which he writes right after that, to the west of where he is, he writes Romans 12.1, which Neural just read to us. We present our bodies as I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you in view of God's mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice to God. And we are to be transformed into the image of Christ by the renewal of our minds, living out the will of God. That's what it says in Romans 12.1. In effect, let me put this into the Mike Whitney version. When we realize the mercies of God, the significance of what Christ did for us on the cross, when we realize that, fully appreciate it, when we really come to grips with it, the only reasonable response to that is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Look at it in the authorized, the King James Version. 
It actually says, which is your reasonable response? The only reasonable response to understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross is to say, Lord, I'll live for you from now on. Any, I would submit this to you. Any other response is not reasonable. It doesn't reason out. It doesn't make sense that if someone did this for you, changed your entire eternal destiny from hell, condemnation, to heaven, and gave you every possible gift and promise and treasure in Christ, with Christ, it says in Romans 8.32, heaven given all of that to just not care about Jesus anymore, to not live like he, does, like he matters, the only reasonable response is to present your body as a living sacrifice. That's what it says. To give, let me put it in different terms, to give Jesus another opportunity to live here through me. That's what it means to present your body as a living sacrifice. Lord, from now on, I'm going to do whatever you want to, me to do. I will give you another opportunity to live here through me. That's lordship. And Jesus basically said the same thing in Mark 8. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Boom. <laughs> Jesus said that. Okay. Now, I'm going to come to a close in just a minute, but I just really want to clarify the gospel here before I finish up, lest anyone confuse the gospel of Jesus. You remember that Jonah and I just preached five sermons, actually, I think Jonah preached four and I preached one. I got the easy part. He's doing all the heavy lifting. Um, we just preached five sermons on Paul's letter to the Galatians and to the Romans because we're walking through the letters in the order that they were written from the places that they were written. So that's, that's what we're doing here after having gone through Acts since January. So we just preached five sermons on Paul's letter to the Galatians and to the Romans. In those letters, Paul wrote at length to both the Galatians and the Romans that the gospel, is a, the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of grace by faith. That we are right with God by faith, not based on the works of the law. Not based on the works of the law. And in the same letter, Romans, in the same letter where he appealed to them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, in Romans 12, in that same letter, he also said this. You remember this. No human being will be justified in the sight of God by the works of the law. In the same letter, he says this. No human, now, maybe some alien from another planet will be. But no human being will be justified in the sight of God by the works of the law. The, the, the righteousness that he's talking about is a righteousness that comes through faith, not by works. And he wrote Galatians to emphasize that point over to the east as he's sitting in Corinth. And he turned his attention to Rome. And he wrote 16 chapters to, to the Romans to emphasize that point. And, and if you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk about it. It's a gospel of grace by faith in the same place. You do not live for Christ <clears throat> like Paul's talking about. You don't live for Christ in order to be saved. You live for Christ because you are saved. It's a huge distinction. Let me put it this way. A dog doesn't bark to become a dog. 
I guess I better bark so I can be a dog. A dog barks because he is a dog. That's what dogs do. (laughs) I guess. Maybe they are also quiet sometimes, I hope. In view of the mercies of God that we have experienced, that we live for Christ and present our bodies as a living sacrifice, in view of God's mercies that we've experienced, in view of that, that's why we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Does that make sense? Does that distinction make sense to you? The gospel is a gospel of grace. No human being will be justified in the sight of God by works of the law. But in view of God's mercies, in view of his mercies, present your body as a living sacrifice to him. That's lordship. Okay, let me bring it home. So Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And therefore, because he lived that way, he could say that what had happened to him had really served to advance the gospel. Because he lived that way, he could say that what had happened to him had really served to advance the gospel. So how about us? Oh, this is the part of the sermon, you know, where the preacher says, well, how about us, right? How do we see the gospel advancing among us and through us today, even in the Midcoast area, even with what Mark said about this, the secular nature of where we live? How do we see the gospel advancing among us today? And are we, this is where I meddle, <laughs> are we willing to radically commit to the Lordship of Christ, to live for Christ, and give Him another opportunity to live on earth through us so the gospel will advance? And you know what that might involve. It might involve some discomfort, <laughs> some things that aren't quite convenient in order to do that. Are we willing to radically commit to the Lordship of Christ so that the gospel would advance, so that the glory of the Lord could be embraced and enjoyed by more and more people in Midcoast Maine, so that they would find purpose and joy in the Savior? That's what we want, right? That's what we want. But it's going to take us following Christ to do that. Yes, my friends, the gospel of Jesus is still advancing here. And those who live for Christ can see it. We can. You can see it. Let's live for Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Therefore, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to live for you in view of your mercies to us, in view of the fact that you saved us through your death on the cross. You became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that we could be right with God. In view of that, we come to you right now and always to present our bodies to you as living sacrifices. From now on, Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. May you advance your gospel in and through me to my friends, co-workers, and neighbors, even to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.